Welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and we are in the season of Advent. These are the four weeks that we will prepare for the coming of the Christ child that will culminate in our Christmas Eve celebrations, our 11 o'clock Sunday morning service, and then our combined 5.30 service with communion and candlelight. Come and join us. But the question for this time is, how will we prepare for God breaking into the world through the infant Jesus? Come, let's explore together. Come on in. Our first lesson this morning is taken from the 40th chapter of Isaiah, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead the mother's sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Mark's Gospel, the very opening of the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Listen again for the word of the Lord with fresh ears. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
and people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan. They were confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. painful, isn't it? We don't like to wait for anything. Our culture, our country, our society has constructed it, its innards so that we minimize our wait time for anything and most things. This season of Advent, thank you, Margie Dodd, well done, yes. We are waiting. And there's not a thing we can do about it, except ask why there's a time of waiting in the first place. What are we here to do? Why don't we just jump to Christmas and do our Christmas thing? It's what we're all, we all want to get to anyway. So why wait? Well, let's see what Mark has to say. This is the opening of the Gospel of Mark. Mark, who we knew was not a disciple with Jesus, but was thought to have written down from Peter and his account of the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, all of the things that happened. Mark is the smallest, the shortest of the Gospels. And some of the other Gospels take Mark as a source and take some of that out. Mark wanted to get in. Mark wanted to get out. Luke and Matthew and even John have some more elaborate characters and plots in these stories and these features. Mark, he's in. He wants you to know, and then he's done. But it is chock full of goodies in this gospel. So this familiar gospel about John the Baptist can be broken up into three sections. The first three, verses one through three, four through six, and then seven and eight. So let's look at one through three. It is bringing in the past. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Sounds familiar to us. Sounds very churchy. It's what we say all the time. Imagine trying to figure out what the good news is in the midst of their occupied country, in the midst of being oppressed, in the midst of all of their broken world and society, just like ours. 
They needed some good news and would welcome good news. So Mark wanted to know, wanted them to know right from the start, it's the beginning about the good news, the good news in reference to whom? Jesus Christ. And says it right out, the Son of God. Pretty big claim, first verse. And then goes back to tie in Old Testament prophets, so we're looking back to bring in where all of this audience, who were all Jews, would know, understand, and connect to. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, Alice read this, a part of this for you this morning. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So we bring in Isaiah. We bring in bits of Exodus 23.20 that tell us about one coming to prepare the way. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, right before there's 400 years that are not chronicled in our Bible, between the last book of the Old Testament, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, the very last thing that Micah says is that there will be one who will come before him who will precede the Lord. They had an understanding of the prophet Elijah. Do you remember Elijah? He was one of those prophets that did a couple things that we remember offhand. One of those, he had the battle on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. They all met and they had a contest and said, whoever, whichever God makes this fire start on the altar, they covered it with wood, is the true God. Well, they started with the 400 prophets and they tried, nada. They did their circle dances, they did all of their incantations and nothing. Elijah said, pour some water on it. And they did. He said, pour some more water on it. I want to make sure nobody thinks that this has been doctored with, that there's no other way that this happened. And he said, Lord, rain down and show them. And God did set it ablaze. So they killed the 400 prophets. Jezebel did not like that. So she went after Elijah. I'll try to speed this up. He does other things. He is low and down, and God comes to him, and he says, buck up, little soldier. I'm paraphrasing. I'm going to fill you and give you everything you need to do what I'm calling you to do. And, of course, at the end of his life, what comes and takes him away Yeah, chariot, chariot of fire. Comes down and takes him away, and his protege, Elisha, takes his mantle, his coat, his cloak, and takes over for him. So Elijah is seen as a major prophet on par with Moses, and he was the one who was supposed to then precede the Messiah. So John the Baptist is filling that role, and Mark is making that direct connection. 
So that is the past, bringing the prophets forward, the first three. Number two, that was past. This is present of this story. John the Baptist here doing his thing. Very quickly, we know him, especially in the Gospel of Luke. Mark does not start with the birth story. Mark starts with John the Baptist in the wilderness. Luke tells us that Angel Gabriel, before Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have little baby Jesus, he goes to Elizabeth and Zechariah and says, you're going to have John first. Elizabeth and Zechariah are about six months ahead of Mary and Jesus. Zechariah was a priest, and he was in the Holy of Holies doing his incense thing, and the angel appeared to him then. And they were not of childbearing age, so it was miraculous, John the Baptist. Well, then he was just John. And so, as we know, then Angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her that your relative Elizabeth is with child, and Mary goes to see her in the hill country of Judea, and John the Baptist in utero jumps when they become in proximity to Mary and in utero baby Jesus. So we think Mary and Elizabeth were family related, and so we think that John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins of some degree, they would have grown up together, certainly in the region. They are the same age. They would have known each other. This is the John the Baptist, who literally six months was sent for his life's work, which was to prepare the way. So John, this nutty figure that we see coming out of the wilderness with his camel hair, with his leather belt, chomping on some, you know, locusts sticking out of his mouth and honey and chewing and screaming at people. Arr! He did have a prophet's voice. He was the voice that Mark is making the case for and the others. He was the voice crying out from the wilderness, as Isaiah says, who was coming to prepare the way. That is John's role. They keep asking John, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? He says, no, I am not. He's coming. Get ready. And you know who else wore camel's hair and a leather belt? Elijah. It is no mistake that, again, John the Baptist is encompassing these prophets as this whole new chapter the relationship between God and humanity forms. So John comes in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There's a lot of churchy words in there. So he's baptizing, but before Jesus comes, you know, we baptized into Christ. So what is he baptizing them Two into Jesus hasn't come yet. They don't know no Jesus. He's not baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit like Jesus told us to. That's later. He's baptizing based more on the Jewish ritual cleansing in baths. It is John's way to purify for them to purify themselves in preparation of the coming of the Messiah. 
Repentance. We don't like that word. It means we have to stop doing what we think we like to do and we think is good for us and we don't want to stop. It is a word that means we have a need a change of heart, change our direction, turn back to God. Those are not bad things. John the Baptist nowhere here says, you better turn so you don't burn. Often repentance is categorized with our fire and brimstone, friends. John never says that here. John is providing them with a way, a methodology to prepare their hearts, souls, and lives for what's getting ready to happen. It is a gift that John is giving them, albeit direct and albeit prophetic, all up in your face. He's giving them a way of loving ritual to come and be baptized and in doing so purify and ready yourselves because he's coming. Repentance. Billy Graham often played the 20th century role of John the Baptist had these comments about the disease running rampant in our world. He said, we're suffering from only one disease in the world. Our basic problem is not a race or an inclusion problem. Our basic problem is not a poverty problem. Our basic problem is not a war problem. Our basic problem is a heart problem. We need to get the heart changed, the heart transformed. That's how Billy Graham saw repentance. Not stop being bad in front of a wrathful God before you get zapped. That's often what we hear here. It is a transformed heart that changes our lives in preparation for the Messiah, our Savior, our Christ and King. John is giving them that as a gift. And who wants to do that? Who wants to go somewhere where they're going to tell you you've got to stop doing all the things that you love that you're addicted to? And sin, by the way, in my simple definition, is anything that takes you away from God. There are little sins and big sins that we are involved with every day. There are sins in which we harm other people and sins that we harm only ourselves. And we all manage sin. It's a part of our fallenness. Only Christ was perfect. So who wants to go to some loudmouth, locust-eating, repentance-screaming, water-pouring prophet in the water that's going to tell me to repent and stop all my sinning? All of them did. The people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. They were hungry. They saw John doing something different, not in the temple, not in the same structures that they had done and been and experienced God. This was something new. This new guy came out of the wilderness and he is saying and doing amazing things. They were all there, hungry, seeking this. Now, we know just what we have said, clothed with camel's hair, leather belt around his waist, ate locusts and wild honey, fine. And then we shift the last two verses to the future. So we have heard the past with John encapsulating the prophets and bringing in their messages of preparation. 
We have seen John in the present telling them what they need to do to prepare for the one who is coming. In repentance, turning back, letting their hearts be transformed, it is active. It is something we do actively, John is telling them. And then finally, he's looking ahead to future, past, present, future. The one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. Are you the Messiah? No, stop asking. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. Not even worthy, John says. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And again, the Holy Spirit not taking the understanding, this is pre-Pentecost, pre-descending of the Spirit, although there were Spirit references, Spirit of God, all the way through the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit with fire. Do I want that, they probably thought? Sounds good. If you're here and you're saying somebody's coming who is here to free us, that is amazing. That returns to the opening to be good news. So in this second week of Advent, we are being called to open our hearts to be transformed as individuals as we prepare to fully accept Christ when Christ comes again, breaking into the world as we will celebrate on Christmas. And then John the Baptist's purpose was to point to Christ, not to say, look at me, it's look at him. Our job is to do the same. We need to point people to Christ. We are not the saviors, no political leader, no celebrity no $700 baseball player, $700 million baseball player is the savior for anything or anybody. It is Christ. And that's who it is our job to point to and say, let me tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ. In our words, in our actions, in the way that we understand, that's our call to be John the Baptist in this world, especially in the next few weeks. So go, look inward, live outward. Allow yourself to be transformed again so it's not just another Christmas where we do this and we do that. Prepare yourself. Take on that repentance. It will make a difference and let your hearts be transformed. Hallelujah. Amen.